InfoTrack continues. Once again, here's Chris Whitting. Will population shifts and economic changes upset your retirement plans? And what if you live decades longer than your parents did? Are you financially prepared? InfoTrack's Lisa G. talks with an expert for the facts you need. Lisa? Thanks, Chris. We are speaking with Andrew Scott, who is a professor at the London Business School, and he's also the co-author of the new book, The 100-Year Life, Living and Working in an Age of Longevity. This is such a hot topic, because like you say, everyone is living longer, and I think some people think, oh, I'm going to live a nice long life, but you write, you know, you've got to be prepared. So could you tell us something about that? The starting point is that on average, every generation is living nearly up to about 10 years longer than their parents. But of course, if you base your life plan your parents, that means you're going to fall short. So we have a lot more life to plan for. That means obviously working till later. But people tend to focus just on the financial issues of how to make a longer life work. And that's why they say, I have to work till I'm later. So if you're mid-40s, you probably will have to work till your early 70s. But if you start to think about that, that means that someone in the mid-40s has to work for another 25, 30 years. And that, I think, starts to bring out it's not just about the finances. Do you have the skills and knowledge to maintain a career over the next 30 years, given the way that technology is working? Do you have the mental and physical health to keep going that long? And what about your relationships? Will they be able to survive another 30 years of work? So we think it's really important in planning for this longer life, one, to think about doing things differently from our parents who had a sort of a three-stage life of education, work and retirement, and think about a multi-stage life and how you prepare for them. So can we go through the so-called roadmap that you talk about and break it down? I think that will help everyone who's listening. Sure. Why don't we start with finances? Obviously, a longer life means you have to save more. Obviously, the younger you are, the more time you've got to save, but also the longer you're going to live compared to older people, so the more that you need to save. And of course, if I'm 65 and I'm about to retire and I realize I haven't saved enough and with interest rates being so low, you'll probably can't save more. You're going to have to work for more. But one of the key things about a longer life is we've got to get better at making decisions about the long run. And one of those is about savings. And most people simply do not save enough. It's so hard to, though. I mean, when I was younger, I used to think I was going to live forever. And I think a lot of young people don't think, oh, I've got to start saving now. But it seems like that should be the case, right? Yeah. And it is an interesting challenge because we are not designed well to make long-term decisions. I certainly don't save enough. And I have all sorts of short-termist challenges, particularly when the dessert trolley comes around at a meal. You know, I never really think about the longer run issue. So we absolutely have to get better at that. So that's an easy thing to say. But the question is, how do you do it? And there's a lot of work in behavioral economics there. But basically, the main thing is you deny yourself choices. You commit to certain courses of actions. And the most obvious one is you just sign away part of your salary every month to go into a fund. And it's a fixed proportion so that as your salary goes up, you keep putting aside that fixed proportion. So you don't every month have to make a decision about shall I save or shall I not. So that's really, really important. Are you a firm believer in the stock market, in CDs, money management? What's your take on that? 
Yeah, so of course, there's a really big challenge right now with such low rates of return. And that's going to then put the scrutiny on anything that has high transaction costs. So I'm a classic economics finance professor here. The best way is to have a diversified portfolio when you're young, heavily into equity. As you get older, less into equity. And you make sure it's diversified and you put in regular amounts so that you can ride the swings of the market and you don't try and chase catching the lows and selling at the highs because that's a very hard thing to do and you focus on steady returns and low transaction costs. So I'm a big believer in passive tracker funds. Let's move on to career because like you said, people need to and will have to work longer. Will the workforce welcome that? Will they welcome older employees? Again, we have a lot of problems here. First of all, it's not nice when you're 60 finding out you've got to work to your 70. So even if it's me, I'm not going to be very keen on the idea. And then you're right. At the moment, we seem to have all sorts of priors and prior beliefs that actually younger people are better. And in fact, I think one of the challenges we've got at the moment is a bit of a chasm. I talk about this three-stage life of education, work, and retirement. Retirement's happening later because we're living for longer, but technology is getting rid of a lot of workers. So a lot of people in their 40s and 50s are finding themselves without a job. And so there's a big chasm. I think trying to do something about that is going to be crucial. So one is governments trying to make policies to help that and be more supportive. I think what I'm seeing a lot more of is people in their 50s and 60s being quite entrepreneurial, starting out their own business, because that's a great way of sidestepping it. But ultimately, corporates will have to adapt and change this. And you can see some of that happening now. What I see in companies who I talk to, I mean, not many of them, but increasing numbers, is they're having to codify policies about workers they want to keep beyond retirement age. And so they're having to say, well, I'm interested in you carrying on working and you can have this package if you're achieving these targets. And I think you're beginning already to see that. And often they offer a couple of different tracks, one of which is just carrying on what you've always done. But another one might be offering a better work-life balance. Because some firms say, you know, you're an experienced worker, you're clearly still healthy and productive. I want to keep you. Now, that creates all sorts of challenges in the workplace. Take family businesses, for instance. The older members of the family, they're living for longer, so they're staying in power for longer. So how do you kind of get rid of them? That creates grievances within the company. <laughs> the Queen is 90. Prince Charles must be wondering when he's ever <laughs> going to get the job. Uh, so that's one example there. So there will be all those challenges. And then the other thing is that if people, when they get older, carry on working, they either occupy senior positions, which frustrates those below them, or they take on work which is part-time and less senior. But then that's awkward for those who take their role because their past boss is still lurking around, but not in charge, but working on a casual basis. So there are a lot of challenges we face because we kind of have a linear career path at the moment where people work, hopefully get promoted, and then they stop. I think in this longer life, we talk about a multi-stage life, you can see people not having a linear career path and coming back in at less senior positions on a part-time basis. That is going to be a massive challenge for internal HR. Wow. We're speaking with Andrew Scott, who is the co-author of the book, The 100-Year Life, Living and Working in an Age of Longevity. He says more of us will be living longer, well past 90. It used to be where you would watch the Today Show and there were maybe three people who they would say happy birthday to who were 100 years old. And now, of course, that's changed. And so one of the important things you also write about are relationships, staying happy and connected. So tell us about that. 
this longevity is not automatic. There's not sort of a magic pill you can take that makes you live for longer. So you have to invest in that. And one of our key things is that people should think of a, a portfolio that isn't just about finances. Also includes their skills, which have to be updated repeatedly in a longer life, but also is about relationships. And study after study shows that what really makes us happy is not money. Money does make us happier, but the things that really matter to us are family and good friendships. And those clearly have to be invested in throughout your life. So if you keep on working and working and working, you may well not be investing in those. And there's study after study that shows that people who carry on working after retirement live longer. And also that people who have good relationships and are loved and have the capacity to love back also live for longer. But of course, this is also putting interesting strains on many of our institutions. You said that there used to be not many people who are 100 number of people over 100 is the fastest growing age category in the population and that's having some interesting issues for things like divorce so in general divorce rates are declining but actually if you look at in the uk the fastest growing age group for divorces is those who are 80 plus no really it's from a very low base of course so the growth rate looks very very high but you're seeing an increase in silver divorces and those in the 50s 60s 70s and even 80s right they feel hey i have 20 more years i want to be happy and they're 80 Yes, absolutely. I had, I was giving this talk the other day and someone came up to me and said, so what you're really saying was that when you're 50 and living to 70 and have a midlife crisis, it's a crisis because you can't do anything about it. But when you're living to 100, it's not a crisis because you can do something about it. And I'm not quite sure I agree with it, but there's something of the spirit of that in that increase in divorce rates in the 80 year olds. Thank you so much, Andrew Scott, co-author of The 100-Year Life, Living and Working in an Age of Longevity. And I look forward to celebrating your 100th birthday. Sounds a good idea. Thanks very much. For InfoTrack, I'm Lisa G. You're listening to InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know.